Man, I am truly grateful and excited to be with you guys today. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. And as my friend Cole shared, welcome. What we're going to do is we're going to start with prayer, and then we're going to frame it up, and then we're going to jump into God's Word. And I'm so excited for where we're going. Uh, Pray with me. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the chance that we can have to come and first remind ourselves about this Advent season, of all that it means, how you stepped out of heaven, was born in a manger, that you lived a perfect life to die a sinner's death that you did not deserve, but we did, all that you might rise from the grave, that while that story had been written for eternity past, it happened in a moment that changed history, that changed our lives, and we pray that it would change lives here. We'd ask that you'd come and do that. As we open your word, would you change us? Would you help us to be more like you? Would you do what only you can do? And that's bring those of us who know you and love you to know and love you more. And would you bring those who don't, who are wrestling with you, who, who Christmas season them, it's a wonderful time of tradition and nostalgia in the sense if they were blessed and privileged to have it of like family connection, but not a connection to you. Would you redeem that? Would you change it? If you're here and you believe in Jesus, I'd ask that you take the next 10 seconds and pray that he would use this time to help grow a love for him in you. Man, if you're here, please take another 10 seconds and pray for me. Pray that I would be helpful and that I would be useful to the master. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We give it to you in every way. In your name we pray, amen. Man, guys, if you have been hanging out with us for the past six months, here's something that you know to be true. You know that we have been working our way through a book of the Bible titled Philippians. It's this letter written from a church leader, a church planner, a church pastor to a local church, to to a city in Greece called Philippi. And we've been working our way since July, traveling to see this beautiful theme, right? There's been this prevailing theme throughout the entire letter of of joy and gratitude, but it's really underneath this banner statement. We've referenced it repeatedly. It, It says this, to live is to live for Christ. To die is gain. Like, do you remember having to write essays when perhaps you're in high school or college, or maybe you're in high school or college right now and you have to write essays? Every essay, right, you'd start out, if you did it correctly, hopefully, right? You'd start with your introduction. Hopefully your teacher would say, hey, create a hook, create something that kind of captivates your reader. And then from that, usually you had about four to six sentences. That was, that's how it was framed for me. And that first paragraph, it needed to end with something. It needed to end with thesis statement. What are you going to tell them, and then how are you going to show them? Showing them was through the body of the essay. The thesis statement for the book of Philippians comes from chapter one. It's to live is to live for Christ. To die is gain. We set out looking at this book specifically because really when you understand all that the Apostle Paul, when you understand all that the author means by that, it's crazy Like, it is absolutely crazy. Like, when he says to live for Christ, to die is gain, the first chapter, he wrote this letter from prison. He wrote it destitute in prison, but he's not even complaining. 
He's celebrating the fact that he's in prison because from prison, he can get to tell people about Jesus Christ that he couldn't have told if he wasn't there. This next week, I've been summoned for jury duty. My heart does not rejoice at going to jury duty. I get it, civic duty, excited for it. I will sincerely try to find a way to tell someone about Jesus while I'm there. But I'm telling you, Paul had a better heart about being in prison than I do about going to jury duty. How are we doing it? To live is to live for Christ, to die is gain. Like the the next chapter right after that, he, he not only says to live is Christ, He says that you and I, do you know that we are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit? Like if you're here and you're a Christian, guess what? There's never an excuse for you to do anything that is primarily self-serving and selfish. What about a good expectation? What about almost a well-intentioned sense of entitlement? No, we don't get that. Do you know what he says after that? He says that you and I, if you're a believer, you are to pour your life out as a drink offering. You ever seen a wet towel, right? You, you take a wet towel and before you just throw in a dryer or anything like that, one that's really wet, what, what do you do? You take it over a sink and you twist it and you wring it out and all that water escapes. You know, that's the visual idea that Paul's saying is meant to be for your life, for mine. What what does that do to so many of us when our faith, it's this nice, comfortable, tiny compartment of our life? And he says, no, all of you is to live for it. Like chapter three, do you know that he gives this reference where he's talking about Jesus, where he says, hey, Jesus is better than everything. He says, I count everything as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He says everything compared to Jesus, it's rubbish. Like how, how many of us, man, as I sat there immediately, like my, my wife and I, we did a budget and it comes December and you want to plan for Christmas. And I'm sure like a lot of people are like, okay, I got to pay for Christmas. How do you do that? But then you come and you say, okay, I got to give to family, right? We, we got a beautiful daughter, got to give to my daughter, right? Got to do stockings, got to make sure there's enough money for food, for groceries at the right time, set out all this stuff. And then it comes, there's this moment, right? Where we have the privilege, and it's a privilege, to where a little bit of money I can give to my wife so she can get something she she likes. And then guys, a little bit of of money I'm going to give to me. Do you know how excited I was? Like literally, it was like an endorphin rush. When I started thinking about Right, that money and what I could do and spend it on me. When was the last time, church, that when you thought about the goodness and the kindness of God, like you literally got lost in the daydream about how much he loves you, how he cares for you, what eternally will be like when you see him, when you walk in the streets, when you see other believers, when you are reunited, how living in accordance to his word in this life, it brings blessing to you. He's not trying to rip you off. To live is to live for Christ. Weeks ago, we talked about how when those who live for Christ, they they fight against anxiety. He says, don't be anxious about anything. And we talked about how anxiety, it's a thief of joy and how we are meant to flood, bathe, soak in the truth of how much God loves us, the truth of what his love does. How, How many of us, as we fight to live for Christ, Reflected on, he has my back the whole way. Last week, 
my friend, fellow pastor Garrison, he got up here and taught us about contentment. He taught us how we're called to be content in any and every circumstance, how Paul, because of his faith in Christ, being outside of circumstance, wanting to live for Christ, saying, I can be content no matter what. And Garrison, he, he rightly comes and he says, I am self-preaching as he fights to support his brother with a, with a despairing diagnosis in reality as his brother combats cancer. And he says, find the secret to contentment. Really? Seriously. And what's beautiful, what's beautiful, man, is really, what's beautiful, seriously, to live is to live for Christ. The only reason we taught this whole series is there's no beautiful summary theme, no exciting tagline. It's just so that you and I, if you believe in Jesus, will sincerely love him more. Like, like not, not, not give him enough to where you're comfortable, but give him more than what you want to give. And in, in that, trust him, depend on him. We must be those people. And here's what's beautiful, man. Paul He's going to end the letter today. We're going to end our time in the book of Philippians. And he's going to come. He's going to talk about one more topic, right? He's done all this where he's talked about every aspect of our lives and of faithfulness. He's going to come to one more topic, and he's going to zoom in on this topic. You know what he's going to talk about? Giving. Money. Tithing. Generosity. It's one of those, especially at this time of season, some folks who perhaps don't, don't really know Christ or they wrestle with God or, man, you grew up and you love God, yet you've been in churches, man, where churches just have this ability to bring more baggage, more pain into your life than anything else, and then you hear, hey, we're going to talk about money. Here's why I think this absolutely matters, that we talk about money. One of the things that Paul's showing us, even in this letter, is that giving, and what I'm talking about, man, is I'm talking about you taking your money, your first fruits, not saying, God, how much do I get to keep? Or excuse me, not saying, God, how much do I have to give? But saying, God, how much do I keep? It's all yours anyways. Your will be done, not mine. You promised to take care of me. How much do you want me to have? Why this matters so much is those who fully live for Christ. Give for Christ. I'm going to say it again. Those who fully live for Christ, give for Christ. Because here's the deal, man. There's no major campaign. There's no collection that's going to come out. I'm not doing this so you can pay for my Christmas so I can go buy a jet ski. It's not why we're doing this. We're doing this because the Apostle Paul, as authored by the Spirit of God, knows what's true in your life and what's true in mine. That stewardship, that money, and a more specific part of that, giving, it's one area of discipleship. In the same way, we've talked about to live is to live for Christ. Love your wife. Die for her as Christ died for the church. Fight to connect with God through his word. Fight to believe that he is better than your career, your retirement account, your wealth, the marriage you want. Fight to believe that Christ is better than the next stage of life where you finally get married or you finally get kids or you finally get your kids out of the house. He's better than all of that. Giving is just one aspect 
and Paul's going to talk about it. Do you know that Jesus talked 25% of the time about money? 25% of Jesus' teachings were on money. Well, why is that? I think there's two reasons, and he says it. What money can do to our hearts, it, it like just infects its way in to where we're far more greedy than what many of us really realize. I think that's the first reason. But the second reason is he knows what money has the opportunity to do. Matthew 6, there's this beautiful passage where Jesus is talking about money. It's his first public sermon. Imagine that. First time Jesus shows up on the scene, he's going to give a sermon. Right in the middle of it, after he tells everyone they're self-righteous, he goes after money. And he says something where he says, well, he says a lot, but he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It speaks to two realities, how if you want to examine what I really value in my life, you can come and look at my bank statement. I'll give you a practical example. If you looked at my bank statement or our budget, right, one of the things that you would see that my family has a value of, when we go grocery shopping, we buy organic, right? That, that bumps your grocery bill up a little bit, all right? You would be able to tell, I'm looking at some friends that helped me steward my finances, and I kind of want to laugh as I see their faces, right? You can kind of tell that that's something that we value. You could tell that. Where your treasures there, your heart will be. It shows what you value. But then there's a second principle that's true. It also teaches where your treasure is, there your heart will be. When you place your treasure somewhere, your heart has a tendency to follow, both to the good and to the bad. Right? So when I use my treasure to advance the kingdom of God, my heart grows in a love for the kingdom of God. When I use my treasure to advance the kingdom of John, my heart grows in a sinful love of John. Church, the reason why Paul is going to end this letter, besides the fact he's saying thank you to these people, is because he knows giving is an act of worship. And those who live for Christ, we are worshipers in every way, including our money. That's why I'm sincerely grateful and excited in my own life and in the life of the Springs to talk about this. And if you're here and right, you, you don't believe in God or you're wrestling with him or you hate church or whatever, been there, bought the t-shirt, I, I get it. I'm not talking to you. You don't believe in God. No one's talking to you to steward your finances differently. Will secular research show that it will literally bring blessing to you if you do? Yes. I was fascinated to see how the impact of people. Ah. Do you know that 10, people who give 10% of their income, this is in a book called The Paradox of Generosity, fascinating book, highly recommend it to you. People who give more than 10% of their income consistently, and this is secular, non-believers, right? Give more than 10% of their income only 41, or excuse me, 32% of them experience rates of depression. People who don't, people who don't, 38% experience rates of depression. You're designed to be generous. There's a reason that when you give, there's a sense of joy. There's a reason how when, when you talk about this, like even if you're not a Christian, there's this sense of, man, I could give more. It's because God is a giver, and you've been made in his image. So even as we talk about this, I pray 
don't you dare think about writing a check or any of that. That's not what I'm talking about to you. But I do pray that generosity marks you. And it's because there's a God in heaven who loves you. So today, guys, we are going to talk about why those who live for Christ give for Christ. And the best part about this too, what Paul's going to show us, he's going to show why it's right that you and I live this way. He's going to give us five examples when it talks about giving. We're going to see these through Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 14 all the way down through 23. We're going to really focus, though, on 14 through 20. He's going to give us five examples of why those who live for Christ, they give for Christ. First one, he's going to say giving is partnering, investing, worshiping, trusting, glorifying. We're going to look at five reasons why followers of Jesus Christ give. What's amazing is where we are in this passage last week, um, my friend Garrison, he taught him the reality of be content in the midst of any and every circumstance. So Paul, he just taught us on contentment, and now this week where he is, is he's teaching us on giving. What's fascinating is why is he connecting those two? To really understand what's going on, and we'll see this through the passage, you have to know why Paul started this letter in the first place. To give a little context, Paul, this letter, it's authored by God, but written by Paul. He wrote this from a Roman prison cell while he awaited to find out whether or not he would live or he would die because he believed in Jesus Christ. While you're in a Roman prison cell, it's different than our prison system. The state takes care of you. Like those of you who've been to jail, been to prison, right? They'll give you clothes. They'll feed you, right? They will keep you alive. Medical care, they'll support you. The state supports. That wasn't true then. You had to fundraise your own support so you could stay alive in prison. This church in Philippi that Paul had known, They sent, through a man by the name of Epaphroditus, they sent this financial gift, this financial blessing to Paul. And Paul received it. What started Paul writing this letter was him saying, thank you. It's him expressing gratitude. Anybody here, especially with your kids maybe, or you still even do it because it's a best practice, right? When you get a gift, you immediately know, okay, write a thank you letter, right? My mom wishes I was better at this. Okay, nobody here writes thank you letters. Church, hospitality, we could disciple each other. Write thank you letters when you get gifts. That's what Paul started doing. And now he's ending it with this thank you mixed with keep going. So if you have a Bible, turn with me. We're going to read Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read 14 through 23, but then I'm going to real quickly reference what does Paul mean at the very end of this, his conclusion, the benediction. And then we're going to work our way 20, or excuse me, 14 through 20. Philippians chapter 4. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your account. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now now this next part that I'm going to summarize here, this is Paul essentially, you know how when you go to end a letter, you add the, the final closing thoughts and love and care 
sincerely. That, that's what Paul's doing here. He says, hey, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. We, we could spend so much more time even teaching on the reality that Paul's extending them greetings, this love from one Christian to another, not just Paul, but then the other leaders, Timothy, Epaphroditus, not just them, but the other Christians in the church in Rome, not just then, the way the gospel had infiltrated even Caesar's house. Greetings. And then he ends it with a blessing, a benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, right? Anybody grow up in a church environment where there was a closing benediction of, may the grace of God be with you. Yeah, there we go, a couple of us and also with you, right? It's Paul saying that, it's this closing blessing, right? That's this closing benediction, the conclusion, the sincerely. But before that, let's start look to see, hey man, why is Paul addressing giving right here, right then? Jump back up with me. We're going to read 14 through 16 as we look at the first reason. It's partnership. But as we look at the first reason why those who live for Christ give for Christ. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even at Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. First reason why we are going to see why those who live for Christ give for Christ, it's because giving, it's partnering. Giving is partnering. Let, let me show you. Paul shows that when you give to a mission, advancing the kingdom of God, including the replication of disciples, establishing local churches, supporting him as a missionary, when you're giving to that, you're partnering with that. He does this two ways. First is through his language. And then his examples, the language he uses, he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. The word we want to focus on here is share. It means to have fellowship with, partnership, trouble. This was Paul's affliction. Not only was he in prison, but even before that, when they had sent him gifts, the reality. What happened to him when he was in Philippi? He got beat with rods. And then after that, moved from town, went to Thessalonica, I imagine, in fear. And they shared with him in that. How? They gave financially. The next part, he, he explicitly says even after that, you entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. Partnership here, it was literally a Greek business term. Some of you guys may know like um, business firms where you hear folks talk about, hey, I'm trying to make partner, right? What happens is they work their way and they get to a point where they have an equity stake, a sense of ownership in, where it's not just they're working for a company, but they are part of the company. They make partner. That's the exact same idea that Paul's teaching here. That when you give to a mission, even if you can't go, even if you can't be a part, you partner, you have ownership in that mission. The second way he does this is he gives us examples of how this was true. In order to do this, what's fun is Paul is, is writing to this church and he's taking them back about 10 years. He's reminding them, hey, here's what you've done for me over the course of these 10 years. And he's going to list these examples where he was grateful in gratitude, how when they gave, they partnered. The first one he talks about in the beginning of the gospel. This was when Paul was still in Philippi. If you remember this, there were no believers when Paul went to this town in Greece. There was none. 
There's five gals coming and reading the Old Testament down by a river. He starts leading them to Christ. Lydia, this merchant, had this huge house. He starts holding services in the house. The gospel begins to change lives. Christians come to know him. Hearts transform. Even after he goes in prison, he comes out. He has a house he can stay in. They blessed him. They partnered with him in that. The second way was when I left Macedonia. This would be like for us when we came and we say, hey, I've been on mission in New Braunfels. God has called me to go on mission to another region, to the southeast. I'm going to head east. They partnered with him when they not only was in their local town, but when they left the area. And then right after that, he says, and even before I left Macedonia, he's talking about Thessalonica. Paul's saying, man, you knew I was headed east and you sent me aid before I even got to Dallas. They partnered with him in word and indeed, and, and where this comes true, guys, right? Like our culture, talking about money, people don't want to talk about it. It is inexplicably connected in the reality of New Testament advancement of God's kingdom. God in heaven is never broke. Do you know why we give? If you're a believer, do you know why? You could spend some time, read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We give because the spirit of God stirs within us. But we do that, and that is a means at which God advances his kingdom. That's why we partner. There's a couple in my community group, Fuchs. They're, they're a tremendous family, tremendous couple. They've led our community group in this two past years. One of the things that the Springs does is we partner with a ministry called CASA. It's part of our external focus efforts, court-appointed special advocates. It's people who go and who help children who are right in the middle of oftentimes a despairing custody battle between parents being taken from families, all of that, and they try to be a child's advocate. We as a local church have partnered there, but before we even partnered, they had a heart for this, to where even a year ago they said, hey, what if we brought up money? And we sent it, not, not just as a community group, and as we sent this to help people, to help kids at Christmas time. Two weeks ago, they reached out. They said, hey, guys, what if we do it again? I would have totally forgotten. Totally forgotten. I didn't initiate it. They did. What does that mean? God has not called me to be a casa. Not right now. He's called me to help raise that up here at the Springs. But he has not called me to be a casa. I, I will have no idea what it's like the moment that the child with the parent or the reality in a foster situation or foster family or how it goes will be to unwrap, unveil. But because of them initiating in my life, in the life of our groups, we now partner with that. I can't be there, but I have a partnership in that. It's the same reason why there's another community group here at the Springs where beyond just giving in the ways that they already do, beyond that, the community group comes and they give to one another and they create their own pot, their own stewardship. Why? So that when they see need, they can multiply the resource and give to a resource specifically why? They want to do more. They want to partner. They say, God, everything is yours. Just take it. Those who live for Christ, give for Christ. I, I have to ask you, do you view giving as partnering? This is part of the reason why, if you ever see someone standing on the street homeless, I highly commend you, don't give them money. Say, hey, I'd love to get to know you. And if you feel safe, man, let's go over there. Let's grab lunch. Let's sit down. Let's talk. I'd love to find out about your faith. I'd love to build a relationship with you. Hey, if you want to come and get connected to a church, they'll help you. They'll come alongside you. They will disciple you. Why do we say just don't give money? One, it's often not helpful. Two, 
it's one of the easiest ways to kind of offload this sense of guilt. When you give, God wants it cheerful. How is it cheerful when you partner with things where you are excited to see the kingdom of God advance? Giving is partnering. Let's look at verse 17. Verse 17. Keep reading with me. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases. This is fascinating. To your credit. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. The second reason why those who live for Christ, why those who say Christ, your king, you can have anything in everything. The second reason why they give is because giving is investing. Giving is investing. Paul's going to show them, if you remember the language from before, that giving in a way is receiving. He starts out, not that I seek the gift. Paul wasn't manipulating the church in Philippi for their money. The Springs Community Church is not manipulating you for your money. Our God's never broke. He stirs hearts. We call on people to respond. Your response, I entrust to him. Paul's not manipulating. That's why he says, I don't seek your money. He just taught on contentment. He says, I seek what comes as a credit to your account. Giving is investing. The fruit that increases to your credit. Right there, that language, it's literally saying the profit that shows up in your account. Right? Anybody here in business, you get it, right? Profit comes from revenue, amount you get in, minus expenses, what it costs, and then what's left over is your profit. When cheerfully, sacrificially, consistently, prayerfully, before God, there's giving. There's a divine crediting. Giving is receiving. Now, if you've grown up around church or sometimes you've heard of something called a prosperity gospel, it is a wicked, vile, inaccurate, unbiblical, terrible teaching that if you love God, if you have enough faith, you'll never be poor. If you love God, if you have enough faith, you'll never be sick. If you love God, if you have enough faith, if you give 100, you'll get back 10 times that. So sow a seed today, and then later he'll give you more. It's vile, it's wicked, it's unbiblical. Remember where Paul wrote this. Desperate, in prison, waiting to find out if he would die for his faith. That's not what I'm saying. But here's what's true. All good lies are built on half-truths. Biblically, there is a role in giving where as we give to needs, God reciprocates to our needs. It was fascinating studying this. I'm going to read three examples. Right? First one's going to come from Proverbs 11. Solomon, next to Jesus Christ, Solomon was the wisest man to have ever lived. Listen to what he says. This is why we give. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. You know what greed makes you feel? Poor. You know what giving makes you feel? Rich. Verse 25, whoever brings blessing, that's giving, will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be watered. Do you see here this principle? Giving is investing. Jesus says in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Right? Right before this, he was talking about mercy. Right? He's talking about this theme of judgment and he's going to use giving as an example here. Give and it will be given to you. 
Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. Do you see that? We give in what comes. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he talks specifically context of money. Point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I'm going to come back one more time, just so I hopefully don't get too many emails. This is not prosperity gospel. This is teaching that God guarantees, you hear that word? God guarantees to meet your material need. But what he also promises is that as you give, he will in every way give spiritually. In this life, if you give a hundred bucks, does that mean you'll get a hundred? Probably not. What will it do for your eternity? Do not store up treasure here where moth and rust destroy. Give in a way to where thieves cannot break in and steal. Your father who sees your giving him in secret will reward you. Like, like so many of us examine like ROI. You have a retirement account. You track the appreciation, compound interest, all those things. I can remember just after college, I'd graduated. At that point, I was privileged, making more money. I was excited to think through that. I had a finance degree, and I was like, you know what? Been talking about this. I'm going to finally invest in the stock market. And not like set aside mutual fund, index fund responsibly. Like, no, nah, man, I think that company's going to make money. I'm going to put money on it and see what happens over time. Right? I, I can remember for me a huge amount of money, and it still is, I put $2,500 into a company that I believed would work out. Over the course of four years, here's what happened. I was nervous. I watched it all the time. I tracked the news. I cared what the company did. There was this why. I wanted to see what that money did for me. I wanted to see how that money was invested by the grace of God alone. And it wasn't because God was gracious. I just was lucky. The 25 became 10,000, and I put it on a down payment for a home. I can remember at that moment, right, pulling that out and realizing I would have never thought this would have happened. I would have never thought this would have become that. And I'd been nervous for four years about it. Do, do you believe, do you believe, not in this life, but as you give in a way that honors God, do you believe he'll honor that in eternity? I'm not talking about any of you ever getting a four times ROI on something you give. But I'm talking about, do you believe that God in heaven wants to honor the sacrifice? I'll give another example. My, my daughter, this is just hypothetical. She's three, so this doesn't work out. But let's imagine she's 16, right? Let's say I look at her and I say, hey, Lily, that's her name. I'm going to give you 20 bucks. Can you go to the grocery store? I need you to buy me bread, milk, and eggs, right? Well, we're going to do breakfast for dinner. And hey, sweetie, whatever's left over, you can keep it. Daddy loves you. I love to bless you. Right, let's say that happens. Lily gets in her car, or probably my car, drives to H-E-B, right? She goes, she picks out stuff, she comes back, comes in, drops the grocery bag. She doesn't get out of the grocery bag. Why? Because she's 16 years old, just drops it on the counter. I go to look in the grocery bag, right? Now she's 16, and I go to look in the grocery bag, and I come in there, there's like nail polish, right? There's, there's some candy, there's like some pizza rolls that aren't really going to work because it's just a one individual serving, right? And then there's like a five tunes, five dollar, I don't even know if this will exist in, iTunes gift card. I look at her and I say, hey, sweetie, where's the bread? 
Where's the eggs? Where's the milk? Oh, yeah. No, I know you gave that to me for that. But dad, no, I really got there, and this is what I wanted to get. Well, hey, sweetie, like we're doing breakfast for dinner here. We need breggs, egg, milk. Here, here, here's another $20. I love you. You can still keep what's left over. Hey, will you go to the store? Will you get us bread, eggs, milk? She goes to the store. She comes back, right? 16-year-old. I'm not hating on 16-year-olds. Love that you're here, right? She comes back. All of a sudden, she shows up, and what do we have, man, right? We have candy, we have popcorn, we have sodas, and we have like eight different Redbox movies that we can choose to rent and to watch from. And I look at her, I said, hey, where's the eggs? Where's the bread? Where's the milk? Oh, dad, I know you said that, but this is what I wanted to get. Don't worry. Movie night's going to be so fun. I've invited all my friends over. I'm not giving her another 20. I'm giving the 20 to somebody else. Why? There's trust. There's stewardship. Even though she kept that money, her father, who loves her, was that money to her account? Was that money to her credit? No. Yet we come and we examine life, and every penny given to us is a gift from God in heaven. He owns everything. You are just a steward. You're just a steward. You have to view it as investing. Let's look at verse 18. Verse 18, for I received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Third reason why we give, the third reason why those who live for Christ give for Christ, giving is worshiping. It's worshiping. First way you see that is Paul says, hey, you're, you're giving, it was a blessing to me. Paul says, hey, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Paul's saying, hey, man, you sent me more than enough. You sent me what I needed. You have blessed me. Paul is expressing gratitude. What's amazing, too, because sometimes, maybe, maybe if, if this isn't you, I'm very critical, right? You can start to think, well, man, maybe there were just some big givers in that church in Philippi. A couple of people just wrote some big checks. They just wrote that, sent that to Paul. They had more than enough, and they just went on and gave. Now, 2 Corinthians, it's chapter 8. You can go look. It talks about the church in Philippi. They gave out of their poverty. They gave out of their desperation, and yet they gave more than enough. It's right that Paul says, thank you. It's right that Paul acknowledges that's a blessing with gratitude. Right? But they didn't do it to bless Paul, which is why he follows it with exactly what he says. They did it as an offering to God. Giving is worshiping. The next part that we even see there, the gifts you sent, they were a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Those of you here who know your Old Testament well, you know that that is worship language. Worship acts where you come and out of a love for God and obedience to him, you come and you lay things down and you entrust it and it creates a pleasing aroma. Why I love this is because it shows we don't do this out of compulsion. Like you know this, if you grew up in church, God loves a cheerful giver. That's why here, man, I don't want to create any manipulation or give money or anything like that. I want us all to be fully devoted followers of Christ. I want to do this more 
in my life, I want to be marked by worship. One of the questions people will ask me a lot of times, and this is if, if you grew up in church, hey, how come in the springs we don't pass a bucket here? Right? Like usually you'll come and you'll sing songs and worship, or a lot of times you put it at the end of the sermon, right? And then there's this offering where we pass a bucket and you come and there's financial and you can throw money into it. You try not to look, but we all kind of have a tendency to look. Why don't we do that here? It's such a great question. Now, here's the reason. We don't do that because we don't want this to come by and there to be a moment of compulsion, there to be a moment of obligation, there to be a moment of guilt, right? We don't want to come and have a person who doesn't believe in God feel like they somehow culturally have a responsibility because they're in this setting to have to give, to put towards something they don't know, don't love, don't believe in. But a lot of times, even as we explain that, folks will say, but you are taking from people an act of worship. And my response to that is, it's two things. Giving as a follower of Christ is absolutely an act of worship. But we're not taking that from them. That's where my prayer is every member, every believer who calls this place home, here's the way that you give. Prayerfully, consistently, sacrificially, before God, asking not how much do I keep, but how, or not how much do I give, but how much do I keep. And you do that, and then you come, and you set that aside. And when that plate comes, you just rejoice with God. Church, we are meant to worship. A really interesting number that, that I found out about three months ago, right? And, and I don't think a lot of places talk about this, but the Springs talks about a lot of things that other places don't talk about, so we're going to talk about it, right? I found out a, a number, right? It was really encouraging. The number was, and it's, it's a good approximation, right? 74% of, of members, right? Now, this is key that you understand members. There, there's non-believers, there's attenders, and then there's members. These are Springs people. 74% of members have given to the Springs, I think as of August in 2019, now, this is my first time having the privilege of being a lead pastor somewhere and examining numbers like that. So I was able to go and talk with friends who have done this for a long time and say, hey, man, what do you think about this number? Like, how should I think about this? What, what does that mean? Right? And there were three general themes that I was left thinking about. Other people came and they said, man, 74% of members? That's amazing. Right? Which led to my second thought. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the people that embrace the reality that one of the ways that we want to describe the local church is we are not a cruise ship that's made to take you where you want to go, to make sure you're happy, you're comfortable, that the food's just to your liking, that I say things that don't upset you too much, that there's always entertainment, you never feel disengaged, that every kid is just happy and just smiling all the time. But not a cruise ship, but we are a battleship. We are a place that calls you to give your life away for Christ that says when you do that is the best life you will ever have. He's worth it. It's true. He died for you. And there was such deep gratitude knowing so many people here, they just give sacrificially. And they give in a way, man, where in the month, like in, and I know the feeling where you come and, and, then, and then there's the moment and you realize, man, I wish I had more money because as I think about this, where does this all go? And as Christmas is coming, how do I set aside? And I didn't factor in plane tickets, but this has already been set. It's already going. 
So God, I need you to show up and I need you to help me and take care of me. I thank God for every follower of Jesus Christ who calls himself a member that lives that way. I found out that number. Well done. It's a privilege to run after Christ. The third thought. Every time I talked with these folks, there was this mentality of, man, that's amazing. Like, if you could just keep that or sustain that, like we did something at the beginning to do it. Members here would agree. We should talk about money more often. If Jesus talked about it 25% of the time, how many Sundays a month should we then, in proportion, be talking about money? Once every four. We're not going to do that, but we could serve to even talk about it a little bit more. But they said, man, if you guys could just keep that going, that'd be great. And the third feeling I thought was, that has to grow. That number has to become more. While I celebrate, right, three out of four giving, and maybe there was a point where it was one out of four and it's grown. Like, that is amazing. I then think, we as a church body, do we ever want to be a place where we say, if three out of four are pursuing Christ in this area, let's just stop. Let's just be happy. Let's just coast. No. You celebrate the three and you call to the four. That's where, man, if you're here, if you're single, if you're widow, if you're rich, if you watch every penny, we are worshipers. We celebrate every penny that's ever been given to this body. We celebrate every penny that's been given beyond this body. And as people who love and worship Christ, let's keep going. Why? Because no one would come and simply applaud, right? If only three out of four marriages, husbands were pursuing their wives. We would celebrate the three and we would fight for the fourth. No one would come and applaud if three out of four members of a local church body were actively fighting to share their faith consistently throughout the week. No one would applaud. We would celebrate the three and we would call to the four. No one would applaud if three out of four people, men and women, said, I'm going to fight against sexual impurity in my life and fight to take ground in it. We would celebrate the three and we would call to the four. No one would applaud if we said, hey, parents, hey, members, take discipleship in your home. Seriously, you are the primary pastor. No one would applaud three out of four. We would celebrate the three. We would call to the four. Why? It is an act of worship. Cheerfully, consistently, sacrificially before God. Those who live for Christ, give for Christ. Because it's worship, man. That's why we do it out of joy. It's worship. Let's look at verse 19. And my God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ. Fourth reason why we look at giving, why those who live for Christ, they give for Christ, is because it's trusting. I love this one. It's trusting. What Paul's speaking to here, if you give 100, that doesn't mean God's going to multiply that 10. It doesn't mean you'll ever see this in this life, ever. But it means God will meet your needs. There's two places that I've, I've held on to in my own life, and I pray you do. Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's talking about your needs. There's this psalmist, it's Psalm 34, where he says, I have been young and I have been old. 
I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I have never seen his children beg for bread. And then he talks about God. Yet God is ever lending generously in the parents of those who live this way. Their children are a blessing. Like we give because it demonstrates God, I trust you. I depend on you to take care of me. You are my ultimate emergency fund. You are, and let the world see, like, my dependence, it's in you, not in the bank account. What money shows us is do we trust? I can remember talking with a guy. He had this job title at a larger church where he was the director of financial stewardship. Like, that was his only job. It was a huge local church, and his job was to engage the local church on the issue of finances, And he'd been a general pastor, so every topic before, and then he'd focused on the area of finances. And I can remember talking with him, and he said, man, it's amazing, my job. I said, why? Why is it amazing? Because I can meet with people, and I can jump straight to the heart of it. Right? Because I'm there to talk about one topic, and I can jump straight to the heart of it, where once I can see where they are with giving, what it does is it exposes everything else. Because money demonstrates, man, do we depend Do we trust? Like, do you really believe he's for you? Do you really believe he'll take care of you? Do you really believe that he's good? Do you really believe he's worth worshiping? Do you really believe that he sent his son to die for you? He paid the penalty for every sin in your life and mine. The reason he was born in a manger was so he could grow up in a family at the age of 12, enter in to read the scrolls, say, I have come to be apprenticed by his dad, a working-class dad, as a carpenter, to then go and live a generally remedial life up until about the age of 30, where he would go public as the Messiah and Savior of the world, tell everyone and then everyone he told to turn on him and kill him. We killed him. I killed him. My sin and yours. And then he rose from the grave, nail-pierced hands, Do you believe? You know what those who believe do? We depend. We trust. I know money's hard, man. I know the moment where you stop and you think, God, I help. Help me change a budget. Help me change whatever. Help. Do we trust? And what's beautiful about that, man, what's beautiful, you haven't heard me once talk about a dollar amount or a percentage. You haven't heard me do that. This is something between you and God. Does the Old Testament speak to principles about that? Yes, man. On average, Old Testament giving, that was 23.33% a year. First 10% went to priests in the tabernacle. The next 10% went to the festivals throughout the year. The next 10% every three years went to supporting the poor, the governance of the people, the army, and caring for things. Then the New Testament comes. There is no commandment to tithe. There's a commandment to die because God has given you life. The gospel demonstration is shown through giving. Giving is trusting. Let's look at the final thing, verse 20. To God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The final reason why those who live for Christ give for Christ. Final reason, giving is glorifying. Giving 
It's glorifying. Glorifying means bringing praise to what deserves praise. It's boasting in what deserves it. I love this because as I think about it, why do Christians do this? God is a giver. Let me show you. He gave his son. He gave his spirit. He gives you and I, those who believe, the freedom to walk in forgiveness of sins. He gives us eternal life. He gives us redemption. He, He gives us peace, love, joy, gentleness. He gives me the ability to, by grace, overcome what was once this crippling temper that destroyed past relationships. He gives me an ability by the power of his Holy Spirit to no longer be a slave to my sexual sins the way I was. He gives me an ability to when I come and I see friends, my language has changed, my attitude has changed, my rejoicing to where when I leave, there's not this sense of regret for what I did. He gives me this change to where because I want to follow him, My life brings blessing. I'm not perfect. I have tremendous flaws. I must be marked by repentance. But guys, I am unapologetically changed. I'm not the same man. I am different. He gave all that to me. And then from that, he says, hey, John. Hey, John. Be like me. Hey, John. Hey, John. Follow me. Hey, John. Hey, John, trust me. It's glorifying. Guys, this past year, even as I thought about this, here's what I'm fighting for in your life. That when you live for Christ, you live for Christ in every category. Your your spiritual disciplines, that you would discipline yourself to connect with God through his word in prayer, that you would fight to invest in community, that you would no longer think you can go it alone Right, that you would come and you examine your words and your tone and your speech and your anger, that you would fight to take conflict seriously, to repent of sins, that you would fight to share your faith. And what I mean by that is not just saying Merry Christmas. What I mean by that is saying, hey, you just shared with me Merry Christmas. Would you mind me asking? Does Christmas carry any special spiritual significance for you? Every one of us should say that repeatedly for the next couple of weeks. And then, and then, Tell them why it's a Merry Christmas for you. You see, those are different examples of faithfulness. Giving is another one of those. We unapologetically will call people to worship here. Unapologetically. Give your life for Christ. It's the best life you're ever going to find. Those who live for Christ, give for Christ. It's a hard thing, though. And I'll close with this. Even as I reflect on my own life, right? And as a pastor, you get super nervous to use your own life in something like this. But I hope by the end of this, you'll show what I I really believe the Bible is commanding, right? Even in my own life, giving has been something where once I trusted Christ, he he changed my life and all those things. And giving has been a part of a discipline in my life that I fought for. And I, I believe every follower of Christ should fight for. Over the past year, there's been two major moments, two major moments where I've come and had either an examination of resources with my family where I have found myself saying, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Right? I I am blessed. I am privileged in the amount. I I might be greedy. I'll come show you my personal budget if you want to, but stay with me through this. There were two times where it was, God, there's always more. There's always things I want to do. 
It's always money I want to have. I'm blessed. And it led to two points of serious prayer with me and my family. That first moment of prayer came, right? Came after, after getting some, some resources, systematically saying, okay, God, I'm going to give more. That's what the first one did. The second moment came after re- resources being there. It was, hey, God, I'm going to give less. God, I'm going to give less. Both times, I honored God. Not about the amount. And I'm so imperfect, man. Given this, I've talked with more people about, hey, man, here's what I give, here's how I give. Right? You know, I'm not going to hide behind, I'm a pastor. They pay me this, so I'm not going to give. No, man, I'm going to die. I'm giving money, man. I want to lead in that here in the same way I want to lead in evangelism, confessing of sin, uh, committing to a marriage, discipling of others, raising up leaders. I want to lead in all of it. Why? Jesus is the best thing that has ever happened to me. He is the best thing, whether you know this to be true or not, that has ever happened to you or he wants to happen to you. Giving is not for a dollar amount. Giving is not for a percentage. Giving is for the moment, whatever stage of life, where you come before God and you sincerely say, it's yours, man. What do you want me to do? That is the application. Those who live for Christ give for Christ. We want to be people who in every way live for Christ. Let me pray. Father, I I thank you for your word, God. Make us all sacrificially, consistent, uh, direct proportional in what you have, pleading with you in dependence, cheerful givers. We thank you that we cannot outgive you. You gave your son He changed us. And you don't demand from us. You just ask that we believe. So God, if there's people here who do not believe, I'm asking that you would come and quicken their souls to where they know you, they trust you, they find forgiveness of sins, they connect to a church community and a body where they learn to walk in faith, to be discipled as you always intended. Change lives. Help us to be worshipers. Help us to trust you. Help us to partner. We need your help. I thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the book of Philippians. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Y'all, hey, thank y'all for joining us if you've been here for the book of Philippians. If you want to come back next week, we're going to start an Advent series where we look at classic Christian hymns. And man, I'm pumped. But in that time, y'all go. Have a great week of worship. See you next week.